Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to this Tuesday episode of Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. Episode number 215. That's pretty good. Last night, history was made. Kind of one of those remember when moments. Do you remember when the Supreme Court returned to nine justices strong uh, with the confirmation earlier in the day and the swearing in yesterday evening of Amy Coney Barrett? A little bit of history is made immediately following her swearing in by uh, by Clarence Thomas, which in itself is historic. Uh, she took to the stage, uh, stood there behind the microphone after some words delivered by President Trump and uh, expressed her thanks, expressed her thanks to uh, the U.S. Senate, to President Trump, to specifically uh, Senator Graham and others who were all part of the process which led her to a seat on the United States Supreme Court. Uh, it was later in the evening, and so a little bit of it was missed. I want to share with you uh, all the events of yesterday evening, starting with the swearing-in right here. I want you to listen to Amy Coney Barrett as she was sworn in, again, by Clarence Thomas as the newest justice on the Supreme Court after uh, receiving a confirmation vote in the U.S. Senate of 52 to 48. I'm going to have to go back and check my notes, but I believe I believe she ends up being the uh, the only uh, the only justice to uh, currently be serving on the Supreme Court not to have received a, a single vote from uh, from the party opposite the president who nominated them. Does that make sense? Uh, interesting little factoid there in history. But anyway, back to what I wanted to share with you, and it is the confirmation and swearing in. Uh, last night of Amy Coney Barrett. Listen in particular to the words of uh, now Justice Barrett. It's a, the, the microphone uh, wasn't great, uh, but you can hear Justice Barrett uh, very clearly. So uh, listen to the words she says, and remember that those words, that oath, uh, are those are the steering words. Those are the, the, the ideas and the principles that ought to go into every day on the job, not just as she dons the robes and reports for duty, but uh, the other eight justices as well. So here, just a moment, a little bit of history last night, the swearing-in of Amy Coney Barrett. I, Amy Coney Barrett, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I take this obligation freely. That I take this obligation freely. Without any mental reservation. Without any mental reservation. 
or purpose of evasion. Or purpose of evasion. And that I will well and faithfully discharge. And that I will well and faithfully discharge. The duties of the office on which I'm about to enter. The duties of the office on which I am about to enter. So help me God. So help me God. Justice Barrett delivered that oath and repeated that oath as it was dictated to her by Clarence Thomas. She did so while holding her hand on the Bible, which was supported by her husband, Jesse. Uh, Fascinating affair. And then, as I mentioned afterwards, after the confirmation, after the swearing in, it was Justice Justice Barrett's opportunity to speak to, to an audience. She took to the microphone after an introduction by President Trump and had uh, some words I'd like to share with you uh, from the newest justice just last night. It's a privilege to be asked to serve my country in this office, and I stand here tonight truly honored and humbled. She then went on to thank the people that allowed her to serve and making a promise to the American people. Thanks also to the Senate for giving its consent to my appointment. I am grateful for the confidence you have expressed in me, and I pledge to you and to the American people that I will discharge my duties to the very best of my ability. If I'm honest, this next clip from her speech uh, caught me off guard. I was surprised to hear her now as a confirmed justice. I heard, uh, I I felt it surprising uh, that she would by name uh, thank the two senators that she claims or she describes as having helped her navigate through the rough path, path leading to the Supreme Court. Here are her remarks continued. This was a rigorous confirmation process, and I thank all of you especially Leader McConnell and Chairman Graham, for helping me to navigate it. My heartfelt thanks go to the members of the White House staff and Department of Justice who worked tirelessly to support me through this process. Your stamina is remarkable, and I have been the beneficiary of it. Now, the reason I say I found it surprising that she would name the two senators, Graham and McConnell, and then go on to specifically thank the staff of the White House, I can see how that may be easily interpreted as a as a partisan nod. You know, all of those involved uh, and all of those who were just on the receiving end of Justice Barrett's, Barrett's thanks uh, of the Republican Party or supportive of the Republican Party. Uh, I can only assume the politics of those uh, staff members supporting the White House right now, but it's probably probably pretty safe to say that they are of a Republican mind. (laughs) Uh, So I just thought that was that was interesting. And I don't know that if you were to go back in history, if there were such specific thanks uh, uttered by those justices on the occasion of their confirmation. Anyway, uh, continuing here, the words of Justice Barrett last night as she uh, as she was confirmed and sworn in a member of the Supreme Court. She recalls her experience and what she had to go through on becoming a judge in the highest court in the land. I have spent a good amount of time over the last month at the Senate, both in meetings with individual senators and in days of hearings before the Senate Judiciary Committee. The confirmation process has made ever clearer to me one of the fundamental differences between the federal judiciary and the United States Senate. And perhaps the most acute is the role of policy preferences. This was a transitional moment in her remarks last night. She went through the thanks there. She uh, there just now described the 
the the pathway through which she passed to become uh, a judge. And now she shifts. Now it is no longer about what happened in the past. It's no longer about thanking those that got her to where she is. It is now looking forward. Here she makes clear what her job duties are. It is the job of a senator to pursue her policy preferences. In fact, it would be a dereliction of duty for her to put policy goals aside. By contrast, it is the job of a judge to resist her policy preferences. It would be a dereliction of duty for her to give in to them. She continues here on to say what the job of a judge is. Federal judges don't stand for election. Thus, they have no basis for claiming that their preferences reflect those of the people. This separation of duty from political preference is what makes the judiciary distinct among the three branches of government. Next here, the final clip I'll share with you from the remarks delivered by newest Justice Amy Coney Barrett just last night. She describes how a judge has to separate from all influence. A judge declares independence not only from Congress and the president, but also from the private beliefs that might otherwise move her. The judicial oath captures the essence of the judicial duty. The rule of law must always control. The rule of law must always control. The reason I share these these remarks with you in long form like this is because the justice now is on the job. I reached out so, to some friends and colleagues just yesterday uh, in the know on these things, and I said, uh, hey, so does Justice Barrett, does she start like day one? You know, does she uh, go to bed just after her swearing in and then the next morning report for duty? And the answer from all was yes. And so she is today now an acting justice. She is uh, a judge, right? And she has a job to do. And it is all, it is likely, it is likely that we will not hear much from her along these lines, speaking like this. The uh, highest likelihood is that all further communication we hear from her will be in the form of opinions. Uh, either uh, in the dissent or in the approval, and we will read it through writings. She'll likely speak here and there, and we'll get a, a taste of that. But now it is off to the races. She will be adjudicating uh, the, the Constitution of the United States in cases which uh, demand interpretation by the highest court in the land. We're going to take a quick break right now. We're going to continue our look at the Supreme Court, but we're going to look backwards this time. You have heard so much about the intense and intimate friendship between the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the late Justice Scalia. Well, it turns out Scalia had another friend on the court, one he took on a hunting trip. You'll never guess who. I'll share with you that story and who it is next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. 
That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.